All right, so we are back in the book of Acts. We've been out for a couple weeks, so let me kind of get us caught back up in chapter 13, the last time we were here. We saw the first missionary journey of started out with Saul and Barnabas, and along the way it became Paul and Barnabas. Paul changed his name, he became the leader. They uh, sailed out uh, from the port just near Antioch. Whoops, I must have did something wrong there. <laughs> I think I clicked back. You're going to have to help me out here. I clicked back and it went, that's interesting. I can control, I can control things. Now. I, got, I have the power. Anyway, they left Antioch. They went down to, took the port city and they preached their way across Cyprus. Went up to Perga, preached up and last time we left them in Antioch, Pisidian not Antioch, where they came from. Preached there, we saw that. He went, uh, Paul went to the synagogue because Paul has a heart for the Jewish people. But they're going, they're, they're not all about this Jesus Messiah guy. They're not too sure about him. And so what we will see today is we're going to see Paul's going to leave there. He's going to go to Iconium, down to Lystra, and then over to Derby, And then they're going to make the return trip back. All in one chapter. Now, just so you understand, this was a two-year journey. This is not Paul slipping into a city, preaching two or three services, and then out he goes. Paul stays. And he preaches, and he teaches, and he makes disciples. You see, isn't that what God told us to do? He said, make disciples in all nations. And disciples more than just coming in and preaching the gospel. Now, that's, that's a good thing to do. But Paul stayed. Even when things got tough, and we'll talk about that today. So, so that's where we came from in, uh, in chapter 13, in the first 43 verses. We see this missionary journey start. And now we're going to come to verse 47, or excuse me, 44. And we're going to end chapter 13. Now remember, he's preached and people have gotten saved in the synagogue. That's where his primary focus was when he was in Antioch. It says in verse 32 of chapter 13, and we preach to you the good news. He preached the gospel. And in verse 38 it says he preached the forgiveness of sin. And then they were very excited about what they had preached. We come to verse 44. And it says, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. 
And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of the prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul turns to the Gentiles. It's interesting, Paul is quoting Isaiah 49 here, and he only quotes half the verse. The whole verse in Isaiah 49 says this. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore and preserve the ones of Israel. That's the first half of the verse that they left out. You see, that was what he was operating under. They would have, the Jews would have known this verse. They would have understood that the Messiah was coming first to Israel. But what had they done? They rejected him. And so, Paul, he's still saying, listen, the Old Testament tells us all about the Messiah. Let me tell you who he is. He's Jesus. And that's what he had been preaching to the Jewish people. But they were like, ah, some of them believed. But there were some who just couldn't bring themselves to lay aside the burden of the law to believe that Jesus would come in grace. That's hard. And there's still people today that won't lay aside the burden that they carry to realize that Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. And so he, he then quotes the last half of the verse, I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, God's plan of salvation wasn't just for the Jews. His plan of salvation was for everyone. The ends of the earth. That's where he, who he wanted to reach. And as Paul preaches to them, some of them say, no, we're not going to listen to you. And it even says that they blasphemed. In other words, they lied about what Paul was saying. Paul was telling them. Paul would take them back to the Old Testament and he would show them where 
Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, and yet they said, no, can't be. Well, there's this interesting reaction that happens when Paul says, we're going to the Gentiles. What did the Gentiles do? Did you, did you catch that? It says, verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many of them being appointed to eternal life believed. Gentiles had been excluded from Jewish worship. A Gentile couldn't go into the temple or into the synagogue even. And what was in the synagogue? The scrolls, the Old Testament, the Word of God. They were kept out by the Jewish people. The only way you could get in was, would be to come to become a proselyte. You had to believe Judaism. They had been kept out. And so when Paul said, hey, I'm going to the Gentiles, they're going, yes, finally. Somebody's going to bring the message to us because we haven't heard. And so the belief in Jesus Christ divided the Jews and the Gentiles. Now some of those Jewish people did believe, but there was this group that wouldn't. They were the religious ones. You know, have you ever found that sometimes religion can really divide things? And that's what religion does. Relationship, on the other hand, with Jesus Christ brings you together. And, and so as they preached, and as the separation came, finally Paul says, fine. And it says that they shook off the dust of their feet. This is a Jewish custom. If, if you're leaving under circumstances that where you don't agree with somebody, you would take your sandals off and you'd clap the dust. See you later. So they head off and they go 95 miles from Antioch to Iconium. About, about a week's walk for them. Now I want you to realize that because this is going to play into how much the Jews hated Paul and Barnabas. They walked for a week to get to the next big city, Iconium. It's in the middle of what we would call modern-day Turkey. And we see uh, what happens there. Look at chapter 14. And we'll look and see what happens when they get to Iconium. They've dusted off their feet. Off they go. In Iconium, what did they do? They entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large group of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they sent, spent a long time there 
speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some side with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And they were continuing to preach the gospel. You know, sometimes people just want to be mad at you. <laughs> you ever had somebody like that? Somebody that just wants to be mad at you. You're laughing, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you, that came to mind, right? It didn't take some of you very long to get there. And these Jewish people would not leave it alone. They drove them out of the city, and then they followed them a week's walk to the next city. Now, remember, the, uh, people would be constantly moving back and forth on these trade routes. If you, need, if you were selling your goods, you would sell them in Iconium. You would you'd take your goods, and you'd go all the way over here to Antioch. You'd sell them there. You'd keep going. So, so this is not a, this happened one day and the next day they're over there. It take us, takes them a week to walk there, but they go there and they start preaching the gospel. And what happens? Some of the Jews that are in Iconium, verse 2, for the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. They took a little bit of their, their religion and started stirring the pot. Because remember, these young believers in, in Iconium, they don't have the word of God. They're getting it first. This is the first time, most likely, that somebody came in preaching Jesus Christ as the Messiah. These people, by and large, the Gentiles were pagan idol worshipers. We're going to see in Lystra, they, they fully embraced all of the Greek gods and worshipped them. And yet, so, so the, the Jewish people were stirring the pot. They were dividing people. And you see that happen. That's why, I, you know, don't ever tell somebody you need to come to our church, you know, because we're the right ones. <laughs> no, our church preaches the gospel. We preach the Bible. That's a good reason to come. But don't come because you think our church is the right religion. You come because it's where the word of God is preached. And that's, we should, any place we go, that's what we look for. If you ever get someplace and they're going to say, "Oh, hey, we're going to we're going to we're going to talk about this really good book over here that I read this last week." Run. Because it's not the Bible. 
We want, we want to hear what the Bible has to say. But these, they had stirred them up so much that, once again, division happens. Be careful. Be careful, because we shouldn't be divided. You know, it, it, that's, uh, I don't know how many of you came from denominational churches, but anybody, if you've ever been in a denomination, occasionally what happens is they'll split because they can't agree on something. And that's happening right now in a couple of major denominations. And it's like that we shouldn't be divided, we should be united. That's what Jesus was talking about. But what happens quite often is, is this. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. You ever heard that? That's kind of, that was a quote that came out during World War II. Uh, and, I, and I forgot to, I should have cited who, who said it. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You see, the Jews hated the Gentiles. But when it came to Paul and Barnabas and the gospel, the Jews said, hey, come over here and let me tell you who these guys are. They're rabble-rousers. They're bad people. They're trying to, trying to twist your mind. This Jesus guy is not the Messiah. And so they found a common enemy in Paul and Barnabas. Opposition quite often comes from many different directions. And we can, we can preach the gospel. And, you know, I would expect by preaching the gospel that we would get some pushback from, from the atheists. Because they don't believe in God at all. But there are times when you preach the gospel and you're going to get pushback from the religious folks saying, well, you're not tolerant enough. Anybody heard that? You need to be more inclusive. Some big words that are being thrown out today. You get it from this side, you get it from this side, and you have to say, no, we're, we're right where we need to be. We're standing on the word of God, and that's where we're going to stay. Amen. And, and when we do that, sometimes... It gets so distracting that we need to take a step back. And that's what these guys did. The, 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 the rabble that was coming from all these different directions was overshadowing the gospel, overshadowing the gospel. So they said, listen, let's let things calm down a little bit. We preached We've made disciples. Let's step back and let's go to Lystra. Let's go to the next town. Things will calm down. Matter of fact, they, they did it to save their own, their own life because they were thinking about stoning them. So they said, listen, let's let things settle down. We're going to go to Lystra. Now, Lystra... Something amazing happens that's very, very interesting. And uh, let's look and see what happens. Chapter 14, 8 to 20. At Lystra, a man was sitting. 
who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come, become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer a sacrifice with the crowds. And when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in the generations come by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways and he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and and fruitful seasons and satisfied your hearts with food and gladness. And even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day they went with Barnabas to Derbe. Wow! What what an interesting narrative we have of what happened in Lystra. Now to understand this, we need to understand the legend of Lystra. The legend of Lystra. So Zeus and Hermes are what? Greek gods, right? And the legend of Lystra says in Greek mythology that one day Zeus and Hermes took on human form and they ended up in Lystra. And they started going through town trying to find somebody that would take care of them, would take them in for dinner, let them have a place. Remember, there's no, there's no uh, Holiday Inn. There's no Motel 6. And they went to a thousand different houses in Lystra. And nobody would let them in. And they got right to the edge of town. And there was this old woman and this old man. And they said, come on in. We'll take you in. Now, they didn't know this was... Zeus and Hermes, they had human bodies, so they took them in. And so Zeus and Hermes were so uh, overwhelmed by the graciousness of this couple, they said, 
we want to turn your home into a temple. And they did. And, and it said that, the, that they, these, this old couple were turned into these great trees that were planted on each side of the temple. And you could go to the temple of Zeus just outside of, of Lystra and you would find this temple to Zeus that's talked about here, has its own priest, and you find these two huge trees that were planted on each side. But Zeus and Hermes weren't going to let the thousand that didn't let them in go. They destroyed all those thousands of homes. So now I want you to get the picture. Paul and Barnabas come. And all of a sudden, Paul's preaching, sees this guy, he says, you have the faith to be well. Obviously, this guy was pray, praying to be healed. And he says, stand up, you're healed. All of these people now are looking and going, Hermes, Zeus. Hermes, Zeus. What happened the last time they came? They destroyed all of our village because nobody, nobody worshipped it. And so they're like going, Hermes and Zeus are back. Lystra gets a second chance. And Paul and Barnabas go, whoa, 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 no. No. Now, Lystra was not like Iconium and Antioch in that it had no synagogue. It had no Jewish influence. So they had no idea who Yahweh was. Jehovah. They had never heard anybody say, oh, we need to worship the God who created what? Heaven and earth. You see, God has revealed himself to us just by looking around us. That's why I, when we were watching those, uh, the slides, and I'm like going, oh, three sisters. There's Mount Hood. You see, you can look anywhere you want around you, and you can see God. A matter of fact, God revealed himself to us through nature. Romans tells us this, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made so that we are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in the speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. See, God revealed to these people, he said, look around you. You know by what you see there is a God. We want to preach to you the living God, not Zeus, not Hermes, not the mythology, we want to preach to you the living God. 
You see, it's interesting that people today, you know, they want, oh, there is no God. Right? Then explain to me DNA. Explain to me how chromosomes over here with chromosomes over here get together and all of a sudden we have a human body. Explain to me how written in your DNA is that you have blonde hair and blue eyes and I have brown hair and brown eyes. You explain that to me. That that just happened. That I have this wonderful thing called a human body. And all the amazing things it does. That, that we have this heart that beats your entire life. Millions and millions and millions and millions of gallons of blood. And you say there is no designer? There is no creator? But what happened is the Jewish people, once again, they made this trip, they followed them, they stirred up the, they stirred up the people in verse 18, and, and with difficulty they, they, they restrained the cows, but in verse 19 it says, but, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won over the crowd, and they stoned Paul. Talk about opposition. And that's one of the things that we don't, you know, we don't see a lot of here. When's the last time somebody said they were going to take you down to City Hall and, 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 and stone you for preaching the gospel? Right? These guys were, pre- they, all they were doing was preaching the gospel. And Paul got stoned. And most, most theologians believe he actually died because he, he tells us a story of, of how there was this man who went up to heaven, saw things in heaven and came back. But they stoned him. But did you know that we should, if we are sharing the gospel, we should expect opposition? John, talking to his disciples before he died, these things I have spoken to you that you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. It's going to come. He didn't say, you might. In the world you have peace. Tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. First Peter tells it like this. First Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. As though some strange thing has happened to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... Keep on rejoicing so that you also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Don't be surprised. You know, it's interesting when I ask people, 
Do you share the gospel with somebody? When's the last time you sat down with somebody and said, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Would you like to know for sure you're going to heaven? You know, and, and, and when I ask them, and they tell me, ah, the, 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 it's been a while. That's usually the answer I get. It's been a while. And when I ask them why, most of the time it's like, well, I, I'm just afraid that they're going to reject me. Do you realize they're not rejecting you? They're rejecting Christ. And, and, and Christ does indeed divide people. There are going to be people you can share the gospel with them and they're going to go, don't want to hear it. Talk to the hand. You ever remember that old saying? Talk to the hand. My kid tried that one time. <laughs> Sometimes we just have to say, you know what? I'm okay. If I share the gospel and they don't believe, it's on them. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop sharing the gospel. I, was, I do listen to other pastors, and I, I was listening to a pastor actually this morning on the way in. And, and he said, he was talking about uh, the fact that, you know, how do you get across, you know, to your teenage kid that doesn't want to have anything to do with church? And he said, uh, when you sit down to pray for your meal, non, that's a non-negotiable at our house. If we're going to have a meal, we're going to pray. You pray like this. God, thank you that you loved me, a dirty, rotten sinner that was no good and that you died on the cross for me that I could have eternal life. And thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. And oh, by the way, thank you for this food. Now, did what? I, I was like, hallelujah. You know, there's nothing to say. We can't put the gospel there. For them to hear it. And let God do the work. And notice, I mean, Paul gets stoned. And, and then what happens? They drag him outside. They throw him on the, basically in the garbage heap. That's what you did with people that got stoned were not allowed to be buried. They would take them out to the garbage heap and throw them on top of the garbage heap. So they took Paul out. They threw him on top of the garbage heap. The disciples are out there going, Oh, my Brother Paul, dead! <gasps> well, maybe not. Help me up. Now, if I was Paul, what would I have done? I might have gone back to the gates of Lystra and said, I remember the legend of Lystra, what Hermes and Zeus did. God called down fire. Destroy them all. Make them an example of what you don't do. What did he do? He walked up and he went, it's all it says... He went back in the city. He didn't preach. He didn't say, hi, guys. Sometimes the best testimony 
When you've been hurt, when you have been trampled on, when somebody has, has rejected you, sometimes the best testimony is silence. Don't say a word. I mean, I can imagine when he walked back in that city, they all kind of went, hmm, maybe we were wrong. What's going on here? Well, we're going to finish. I want to finish out the narrative here. In verses 21 and following, and after they preached the gospel at that city and made many disciples, oh, excuse me, verse 20, the next, the next day they go to Derby, right? They said, okay, you guys don't want to hear, that's fine. They go to Derby, and after they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, Notice, underline that word, disciples. That means they not only preached the gospel, but they stayed to get them found, their foundation set. They made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith saying, through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. And when they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord to whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word at Perga, they went down to Italia, where they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had accomplished. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. It would have been very easy for them to say, you know what, we preached here already. The last time we preached here, we got... Paul got stoned. When we left Antioch, they didn't want to have anything to do. So we dusted off our feet and went on our way. They very easily could have said, you know what? Let's just head straight down to Italia. Let's get on the ship and go home. But what did they do? They never gave up on the gospel. It says they strengthened the church because despite all of this opposition... Every place they went, a church started. And they made disciples out of those. It, it, this took some time. It wasn't, oh, we're going we're gonna to be here. We'll have evangelistic meetings for, for this next week, and then we're off to the next city. They didn't do that. They stayed, and they made disciples. It says, not only that, it said there were, there were men within each church that had enough of, of the qualities that they were looking for that they made them elders to, to continue the work. To continue the work. Because they knew they weren't going to be around. 
And they didn't give up just because there had been opposition. Every place that they came going, as they went back, encourage, 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 encourage. And when they got all done, what did they do? They went back to the church that sent them, and what did they do? They encouraged them. You sent us. Remember, they've been gone for two years. It'd be pretty easy to forget. Now, who were those Paul and Barnabas guys? Where are they at? What have they been doing? They came back and they encouraged the church at Antioch with what they were doing. Hebrews 10 tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate, how to encourage one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That last part, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Have you ever thought the implication of that? Why did they throw that in there? Because what's going to happen the closer we get to the returning of God? When Jesus returns... What's going to happen? Are things going to get better and better and better and then God's going to come back? As in the days of Noah, so it will be. Things are not going to be getting better, folks. Therefore, don't forsake this assembling together. Therefore, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Therefore, encourage one another. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. They went back through and they said, listen, you guys are doing okay. Keep up the good work. We're going to send you some letters when we get back to uh, Antioch. We'll, We'll continue corresponding with you. Make sure you're doing okay. We might even send you some young preachers because that's one of the things that Paul did. All through his life he had these young preachers that he would train up and then he would send back. Encourage one another. Last uh, two Sundays ago when we had our 70th anniversary, we saw a video from Pastor Scott. And and I'll be honest with you, when I first saw the video, I wept. It hurt. When you see somebody going uh, going through what he's going through. And One of the things he did is he said, you know, I want to encourage you, when you come to church, and I know, folks, this is hard, okay? Don't look for your pew. Don't look where you normally sit with the people that you normally sit by. He said, you look for the face of somebody that's hurting. And you go and sit by them. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You just go sit by them. 
And that will encourage them. See, we, that's what we, sometimes we, we get so set in our ways that we don't realize that there are all kinds of people that come into our church that are hurting. They're, they're, they're going through issues that we have no clue. And if you ask them, you know what they're going to say? How are you? I'm fine. Well, here, well, in, in that case, let me take these big bags of garbage that you're carrying down the hallway and get rid of them for you. Because people come in carrying all kinds of weight. Relationships, health, loneliness. And they're not going to step out and say, oh, hey, let me tell you about how terrible things are. But you can read it. And that's when you just sit by him and you say, hey, I'm here. You want to go have lunch? Let's go have lunch. Can I call you later this week to check up on you? Or maybe you just call him to check up anyway. I've got, got somebody that I'm working with uh, in an accountability group. And one of the things that they do is is they have one of their goals is to call four people a week. Four people a week. They're not a conversationalist. They, they, they're not, but, but uh, they do that on a regular basis. And they're learning to, to what? Connect. And so when they're here on Sunday, they go, oh, who do I need to call this week? Oh, I need to call one, two. Three, four. Those are the four I'm going to call this week. Or they get their prayer list and they say, those are the four I'm going to call. Encourage one another. Lift one another up. Stimulate one another to good deeds. Encourage one another. Well, I thank God for Paul, who didn't give up, who just kept preaching, because this is only the first of three missionary journeys he's going to go on. And they're not going to get any better. <laughs>